Welcome to Creative Places and Faces, the podcast that explores how places can affect our creativity and lives. Irish author Jackie DeBurka interviews artists, authors, and all sorts of creatives from around the world. Travel virtually and explore the world creatively. Ryan Dennis explores the dynamics of rural life and those who inhabit it. He's a former Fulbright Scholar in creative writing and has taught at several universities. His fiction, personal essays and poetry have appeared in literary journals in Ireland, New Zealand and the United States. He is also a syndicated columnist in various agricultural journals around the world. And he recently completed a PhD at the National University of Ireland in Galway. Ryan's first novel, The Beasts They Turned Away, was published by Apoc Press in March 2021. The story follows an ageing farmer facing adversity as he tries to hold on to both his farm and the young boy he takes care of. Owen Smith, in his review for Books Ireland magazine, said, The Beasts They Turned Away, Ryan Dennis's hypnotic, unsettling debut, is a peculiar story set in an inward-looking farming community in the west of Ireland. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ryan. You're really welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's great to be part of the podcast. Oh, cool. That's very cool. Now, one thing that I've just picked up on uh, in that quote is something we're going to get to later in, in a few questions down the line, if you like, is that isn't actually correct that the book is set in the west of Ireland, but we're going to we're going to deal with that a little bit later on, aren't we? Okay, sure. Sure, it sounds good. We'll set all the records straight once and Absolutely. for all. Absolutely. It has to be done. It has to be done. So, um, right. The temptation, Ryan, it overcomes me very frequently to read out this quote because I think it, it kind of gets uh, on the button what my podcast is about. Wherever you go becomes a part of you somehow. This is by Anita Desai. How do you personally feel about this quote, Ryan? Um, I've always thought I'd be tied to kind of one piece of ground in my life, but uh, the way things went, I ended up moving around quite a bit and living in three different countries. Mm-hmm. And I found that whenever going to a new country, a new place, you know, there's the excitement of of experiencing something different, of making new friendships, of of learning something about a culture. Um, but then there's also the sadness of when it comes time to, to leave it as well. So, um, so I kind of like the idea that uh, wherever you go kind of gets embedded as, as part of you, you know, as a part of your personality or as your soul DNA or, or however you want to say it. But uh, I kind of like the idea that, you know, that when you leave a place, it's, it's not gone from you, but uh, somehow keeps you affected in a way. So I find it encouraging. I think it's encouraging. It's not It's not unlike people who've been important in our lives, at least that's how I feel. What places have become a part of you, do you think, Ryan, in your life up to date? Uh, I think it's logical probably to start with uh, where I grew up. Um, mm-hmm. I was born outside of a, a town of about 500 people uh, called Canisarega in New York State. Um, you know, I think Canisarega has kind of suffered in some of the way that a lot of small uh, rural American towns have. Um, mm. The last business they had was uh, a tractor dealership, and that's gone now. 
And uh, now it's uh, just four corners and a blinking red light. And the buildings on two of those corners are, are crumbling down. Um, wow. But that being said, um, you know, I think it, it was a very supportive environment. You know, I found it kind of very empowering to come from kind of a, a small community that way. And um, so that's something I took with me as well and and something I appreciate whenever I go back. Um, mm, okay. I mean, yeah, small community obviously has its pros and cons. I'm living, I'm living very close to a village of a very similar size, um, possibly, possibly a little bit less. Um, Epoch Press Ryan describes the beasts they turned away as this dark and lyrical debut novel confronts a claustrophobic rural community caught up in the uncertainties of a rapidly changing world. Which place or places inspired the book, or is that the case? Um, I, you know, I grew up on a farm and I, you know, eventually kind of made it my, my life's work or at least driving passion to try to tell the story of, um, you know, the small farmer in a modern context. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, even though the, this book is sent Ireland, I think it has its roots in, you know, trying to first tell the story in an American context, but also kind of realize that this story is similar for most of the, you know, the developed countries, I'd say, you know, the, the mechanisms are placed that have, have made it difficult to make a small farm viable are very similar everywhere. So, um, you know, I, I just say my own farm ultimately inspired it. And then, um, relocate to Ireland once again and kind of taking up the task of writing about farming in an Irish context, uh, kind of created a new opportunity to tell a story I had been working with and bring to it, um, you know, a different setting, a different environment, a different lexicon, uh, a different, uh-huh. um, you know, uh, language patterns, things like this, and a new type of challenge. So, the, so that was exciting as well and and you know the pressure to make sure to get things right and not lose authority in the work by getting any of these details wrong you know that would you know the kind of flag that um you know that i'm that i'm not irish uh, as well Um, that's a huge challenge isn't it 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 is and you know one it's one i'm very conscious of in that even when i told friends i'm you know i'm writing this book about irish farming the reaction was you can't you can't write about Irish farming. You're not Irish, and which is understandable as well. Um, and you know, I think perhaps you know, you know, maybe even particularly in Ireland, there's this protectiveness of Irishness as well, um, which is understandable as well. But um, I believe anyway that most people who have read the book and don't know that I'm American don't realize it through the book anyway, or at least no one has, has told me that. So No, um, it came it, it actually came as a surprise to me. I didn't realise you were American until I did a little bit further research. Um so I think yeah, you know, you definitely pulled it off. Okay, thanks, thanks. Good, good. <laughs> so one one thing, one quick question, uh, because of what you've just mentioned there, Ryan, in terms of you absorbing the Irish uh, farm scenario 
did you know how did you go about that in terms of in terms of like did you spend time on farms what what way did you approach that uh yeah i was fortunate enough to to visit a few farms and some in galway some some in uh, longford um I, I you know i try to stay abreast of uh irish agricultural news and part uh-huh. of the phd that i entered in galway was dealing with uh, agricultural policy specific to the EU and Ireland uh-huh. as well. Um, but part of it, I think, and maybe this is kind of the role of the writer in general, is just to, you know, to be an observer, to try to take in the details, to notice the details. And in some ways, I think the distance of not being Irish was useful in that uh, as well. I, I realized and the first time I left home, even though the first time was just to go to a university 20 minutes away for the first year, I started to be able to recognize where I grew up a little bit clear. And then when I went further, that lens became clearer again. So I think the distance of not being Irish was useful in taking in details and also just trying to tune the ear as well to um, mm-hmm. you know speech patterns, to... To the to the the words used, the lexicon, and and then there was a certain amount of vetting involved as well. And you know, I made sure that people in the familiar with Irish farming read through the book, and because even though the experience of farming that I wrote about in this book was quite similar to the one I grew up with. Um, there's different words for things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what we call a milk house is called a dairy in Ireland. And, and you know, there's course. many examples. Yeah. Um, so I made sure that the book was vetted to make sure there weren't any slip ups as far as terminology. Um, it was a kind of a shock when I realized that dirt is not used in a synonymous way as soil in Irish English where it would be in American English. So I think there's like 42 instances in the book that I use the word duris nasa soil, which doesn't seem like a big deal. But then, you know, between the two words, there's a different rhythm, there's a different assonance, there's different connotations. So, um, so, so yeah, it was, it was a bit of work making sure that all the details were right and there's no authority lost in that way. Let me ask you something something else that just springs to mind. How long did the whole process take then, Ryan, between between everything? The the book was written over a period of five years from from first putting pen to paper to the final draft being done for the publisher. And it wouldn't have been written on continuously. It was part of a PhD project, NUI Galway. But mm-hmm. the majority of the focus of those five years would have been um, writing the book. I always write longhand first and then type it up, print it out, and and then, you know, mark up a page, type it in, print it out. Um, so it's a, it's a slower process for me, but I, I find that I, you know, just can't write work off a computer screen. Um, That's fascinating. Writing, writing is a... Uh... You probably know this. I'm, I'm imagining, Ryan. It's a subconscious activity. So, for, so writing long hand, as, as, as you correctly say, actually does trigger the subconscious. 
I think so too. And I always joke that I hope it makes my archive more valuable one day, you know, that where everyone else is, does I have anything written on paper? Like, you know, I, I still do. So, but uh, that's my only retirement plan to date. And it's probably not a great one, but. Uh, <laughs> okay. Do you have any doodles to go along with the, with the, the manuscript? I, I'm sure I do that. Uh, I hope, you know, scholars someday spend hours trying to debunk, you know. <laughs> Okay, so let's travel back, Ryan, uh, in time. You've mentioned, obviously, the name of the place where you grew up and, and you've mentioned the size, around 500 people. Um, we've just touched on the subconscious, you know, as we deviated slightly off the theme. But you have you come to know and absorb into your writing and subconscious the place that you grew up and, and really how does this environment influence you today in your creativity? Uh, I think the first thing growing up on a farm and particularly one during a period when, um, you know, the industry was kind of shifting in the U.S. when it was first becoming harder to to make a small farm viable. Um, mm-hmm. I think it gave me a story to tell is one thing it did. Um, you know, the, the people I grew up with writing – either from uh, my creative writing courses back in my university days in Iowa or my master's in Galway, I noticed the ones that um, stayed with it are those who felt like they had a story to tell. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that environment, this farm, one, it gave me a story to tell and it gave me a set of details to kind of start to construct these stories with. Um, You know, I I think the – the gothic nature of the beasts they turned away this novel um part of that is inspired by you know some of the kind of macabre and, and gothic details i saw on my own farm back home you know there are certain parts because of the way that the style of farming changed that weren't used and they were kind of left in darkness and shadow with cobwebs and uh you know might be the a, a random bone from a certain animal in the, in the chaff there and, and, and things like this. Um, so I think whenever I write, even if it's not necessarily, um, have to do with that farm back in outside of Kenneth Reagan, New York, it always serves as kind of a starting place in my mind, subconscious place I go to first. And then from there work out from towards, um, whatever setting I might, I might be might be dealing with in the writing itself. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. One question. D- did you come from a creative family? Obviously the farming background and how you've described that particular period with it being, you know, more challenging. So obviously it's a, a rich tapestry to draw from as a writer, but were, were there other people in your family that had like any creative uh, outlets? I think if, uh, if you ask, Anyone back home, they they might say that uh, the Dennis men in our family, um, you know, are, are kind of storytellers in their own way. And mm-hmm. maybe that's a kind way of saying it, e- even as well, uh, you know, full of BS or something. But uh, like the old aunts or the old uncles, uh, my grandpa, my father, you could be there seeing the same thing happen in front of you. But when they tell it, it's it's a much more elaborate and uh, and. Uh, uh, a story and uh, you know you wonder if you were actually there at all because it's you know it's a it's a whole different thing so i assume there may, that there's some creative uh creativity 
kind of lurk in there in the genes that way. Um, Definitely. But um, yeah, other than that, my, my mother also kind of dabbled in writing and her and my sister also do some recreational painting. And so, so it is there, you know, uh, mm-hmm. most of my family are farmers and teachers on both sides. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think they found ways to kind of express themselves creatively. Okay. That's interesting. So one, one question for you, Ryan, like, you know, did, did you sort of feel that you would write a book from a sort of a fairly early age or, or, or not? When I was 14, um, the Cancerega, the town, had a, a little flyer that it sent out to to uh, people in the area called the Cancerega Creek Crier. And mm-hmm. I think it was like three or four, five pages. It was pretty small and it's just volunteers. And, but in it, they asked for stories about the hairy women of Klipnaki. Um <laughs> The uh, the hairy women of Klipnaki, it's a local myth um, that actually originated on on our land or and part of land we used to own as well about a group of sisters that uh, ended up living in the woods and becoming very hirsute and hairy and who for generations have played tricks on hunters and locals and things like that and um, – you know, I, I think our area is kind of proud of that myth. And so I sat down and I tried to write that story. It's the first story I ever wrote. And I ended up, what I thought would be a short story became a 10-part series. And I sent it in okay. and they published it as a series. And mm-hmm. the town people and the locals were got quite excited about the story. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't because it was good, obviously, as a 14-year-old writing it, but I realized it was because it was a story about them, you know, it was their story sure. being told. And from then, I kind of realized that there's value in trying to give um, voice to someone's experience. And so that mm-hmm. kind of created that desire to to write. Um, and from there, that kind of desire kind of grew and you know, at, at university, I got both an English and a bioscience degree, but it eventually became clear to me that no writing what I wanted is what I wanted to do. And actually, yesterday, um, I received a phone call by a, a small beef farmer in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And he said, listen, um, there's a small group of us. Uh, we've done a research. And... You know, we believe there's collusion in the beef industry. There's certain po- mechanisms in place that's hurting the small beef farmer, and no one's listening to us. We try to take it to, um, you know, certain government officials, the anti-competition organization Ireland, and no one will listen to us. You know, can you help us get our story told? And mm, okay. I thought that was fantastic. I like that to yeah, me, that's yeah. exactly why I write, you know, to kind of give voice to stories aren't being told to other people who, who aren't being heard. So, um, so yeah, that, to me, that was an exciting moment and kind of reinforcing, you know, why I write. That's fantastic. So, and not that you have to sort of go into lots of detail now, but do you feel you're going to take that up? It sounds like from your passionate reply that, that that's probably going to be yes and answer yes. No. 
Yeah, certainly. And, and, and I, I don't know how, uh, all the ways, you know, there's some ways I think I can give them a, a, a platform to speak for themselves. Um, already but um yeah i I, i'd like to keep working with them to help them get heard because you know i agree with what they're saying and i think what they're feeling now is something similar i felt in looking at the u.s dairy industry when i was younger and feeling like hey this is a broken system and no one is admitting that and no one is listening to me you know Mm -hmm. and and so i I can relate to that and I, i hope i can be helpful to them Excellent. Okay, that's that's fantastic. One one of the uh, interviews that I did in the very early stages of, of the the podcast was with Malachi O'Doherty, and uh, we had a great discussion also about the sort of the the responsibility that comes along with being a writer. If you know, if you perceive it in that way, you know. Yeah, certainly, certainly. I, I think the best writing takes on responsibility. You know. mm. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's go back to when you were younger again, Ryan. Um, were there any family members or teachers that you encountered during your more formative years that particularly encouraged you in your writing? I always tell people half jokingly, but I think there's some truth to it that um, you know I wasn't born with talent in anything. You know, I always started out very bad at anything I did, but I think my gift was I was surrounded by good people. Um, uh-huh. you know, okay. and you know, I think that starts with my family. They were, all of them were very supportive, um, of, of anything I did. Um, and, you know, my, my family as well kind of worked hard and struggled to make a small farm, to keep it, to keep it, stay alive. Uh-huh. And, and in particular, my father was in a circumstance where, um, he, he broke his back. He was crushed by in a, a farm machinery and they thought certainly he would die, and then certainly he'd be paralyzed if he lived. Um, but he learned to walk, and while having to learn to walk, he kind of had to fight off banks and lawyers uh, and people trying to take our farm from us, from a hospital bed. Um, wow. So I I, uh, I draw inspiration from from that as well, and, and that helps me put things in context. Uh, and also... Oh, Go on. Uh, and uh, when it comes to to writing in, in general, um, there is a particular individual named Bob Albrecht who took me under his wing and was kind of the first person to uh, teach me to write and mm-hmm. think like a writer. I, the first year of university, I had a scholarship to a local state school. So uh, I went and... It was, you know, it was an all right to your state university. Um, probably had a a bad reputation just because it's local. But um, there's a person there who taught a literature course and short stories. And the first course, you know, he kind of emphasized the power of literature, and it, mm-hmm. it kind of blew my mind in a way. But in any way, I had to miss one of his classes because I was on the 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 college dairy judging team. It was um, like a competition on, on judging the quality of cattle. Um, Uh But in any case, that was my first contact with him in his office. And he politely asked me what, um, you know, you know, what are your ambitions beyond this, this university? And I said, I wanted to go to the university of Iowa. And he said, uh, did you know that's the kind of the best school for writing? And I said, I did. And that's why I hope to go there. And okay. he said, um, use me, use me as a resource. 
I'll help you any way I can. That's fantastic. I don't think he knew that the rest of his life he would be reading my work and writing references and this stuff. But um, uh, I, I do owe some gratitude and um, kind of the start he gave me in this whole this whole writing business. Yeah, that's 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 really wonderful. Now I, I had a question for you that after you spoke about your father's situation, I'm, I'm even wondering should I be asking this question? But it's here anyway. Sure. What about family holidays? Did you have any to begin with? Uh, there was only one, uh, when I was 12, we went to Disney world and okay. you, you being on a farm is hard to get away to get the time. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get the financial resources to do it as well by the nature of farming. Um, and so, um, the only time we did it is, um, when we're kind of changing our operation and it's okay. kind of a rare a rare chance to do it. And I think there's some, some loan money as well for, for the farm. So we did it. Um, and it was good. Uh, you know, I, maybe it was a bit of a cliched place to go, but I mm-hmm. think, you know, when you're, you know, myself now is quite fortunate to be able to travel and to go places and see things. Um, but you know, all the generation of family for me who are farmers weren't. Um, and so if you get one chance to go somewhere, I think, you kind of want to go to the place you hear about all the time and, and sure. everyone else is gone. And, um, in the same way, my parents sold the dairy cows and they went on a vacation themselves and a holiday and they went to the grand Canyon, you know, you know, okay. a, a common place, but I think, cause you, you heard about all your life. That's, that's kind of where they wanted to go. Spectacular all the same. Um, what, what age were you when you went, went on the Disney trip? Uh, I was 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, I still remember it was, it was fun. It was great. Um, okay. You know, and first time on a plane, I think. So, hmm. Okay. And did, did you sort of take anything creatively from that particular trip or was it just the fun and the excitement of obviously getting away as a, as a family? Uh, I'd say it was more the latter anyway. Hmm. Um, hmm. I'd, I'd say it was more the latter. Um, yeah. Okay. So we touched briefly on your, uh, your mentor in your during your university time where where were you in university you mentioned that you were hoping to go to Iowa and you're in your local university talk talk to us about that that period please Ryan sure um when I found out that when someone told me that the University of Iowa had the first master's in creative writing um Mm -hmm. and from that it kind of became the at least in the U.S. kind of the writer's hub or a place where um, if, you know, if, if some of the best writers weren't teaching the, the master's program, they were, um, they were given readings there. And because it was exactly a thousand miles away, I thought, right, this, this is the place to go. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I thought it must be a sign. And, <laughs> but it, it was, it was great. Um, you, you know, it was intimidating at first. Uh it was long enough ago where even there, there wasn't a bachelor's in creative writing. So there was just an undergraduate fiction workshop that you had applied to each semester with a short story. And mm-hmm. I, you know, my first semester there, I was in, got into it and I looked at the other students there and, you know, some of them, you know, had black rim glasses. And I thought, man, I've only seen people 
wearing black room glasses on TV. Like I know they're they're smart because they're wearing <laughs> glasses, but you know it's it quite intimidating. Like I don't know if I belong here, but um, it, it was great being part of an undergraduate community where you're at a at a pub and among other people want to be writers and you're looking at each other trying to figure out which one's going to make it. Um, so it's kind of an exciting environment that way. But it's also cool to, you know, to see all the reader, the writers or some of the writers that you've been reading, you know, back mm-hmm. in my previous university or uh, just read in general. Suddenly they were there walking on the streets. You know, you could say hi to them. And you saw them in flash, you give a, see a reading by them. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was kind of a great environment that way. I, uh, I got to technically work with James Allen McPherson. Uh, uh-huh. He's the first black man to win a Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm. Um, un- unfortunately, by that point, his he had, had a several strokes and and meningitis as well, and so his memory was gone. Um, mm. He was very kind, very good, uh, but every time I walked into his office, we'd make small talk, and then eventually he would ask, "So who are you anyway?" <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> and, uh, but um, but yeah, it was it was. It was it was great being around those type of figures anyway and inspiring. I'm actually very brave of him to continue to put himself out there considering what, what he was going through health wise. It was, it was. And, um, you know, and I, I think he helped a lot of students in in the past as well. Um, mm. but, uh, yeah, it, it was fun just getting to know him anyway. Fantastic. So that was, did you feel starstruck at all, Ryan, like with, with, with any of these authors, you know, that you'd already read their works or did it not affect you in that way? Uh, I, I Maybe I did at first, but I think going to readings a lot of the times, and I think it's just my own nature and maybe my own competitiveness. I started thinking like, oh, this, this reading has holes in it. I think I can give a better reading or when my time comes or, you know, or uh, hmm, your, your personality didn't quite come out quite enough. I, I think, okay. I give it, which is not true. You know, it, it's hard to stand up there and, um, you know, perform in whatever way you have to perform and to, to present your, your work and your reading. But, um, but uh, it, was, it, was, it was useful to be motivated by the standard they set, I think. Hmm. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine it would be a, a great uh, environment to be in. I'm trying to remember the name. The name of the place, the retreat, Anna, in in Ireland, Anna McCarrick, isn't it? Uh, it? It just pops into my mind purely in terms of an environment that's been mentioned by quite a few of my guests who are Irish-based guests. Um, but it just strikes me. The only reason I'm mentioning it, Ryan, is it just strikes me like a sort of a similar setting that you you experienced in Iowa. That sort of been embraced by a combination of people that you obviously respected their talent and other people, as you said, as you said, very honestly, you know, you were like, thinking, well, I could maybe do it better than you. <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah. Then that makes sense. And I always found I was, I ended up liking authors. I was surprised to like, you know, mm-hmm. um, like Mary Carr, my understanding, you know, she wrote the liars club at that time. That was her big work. Um, you know, what I knew about her before, I wasn't that impressed with, but then when she stood up there and then she owned it and, uh, you know, the way she called other writers out and I became a fan of her sense. So it was, um, 
Yeah, yeah, for what it's worth, uh, some of those writers certainly won me over. And I remember uh, just John Ashbery descending the room for his reading. You know, there was buzz, there was talk, and then one by one, each role fell silent as John Ashbery passed him, you know. And then mm-hmm. suddenly, we're all just in reverence at this uh, kind of admired poet. Okay, what a, what an amazing! I think you I think you 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 pretty much lucked out. You made a good choice. You went with that amazing s- sign of the one thousand kilometers or miles, <laughs> uh, and yeah, you ended up in a, in a fantastic place for for you know to to hone your talent. I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I was quite lucky. Mm, okay, so what happened after uni? What did you get up to? Did you go abroad at that stage, or were you still in the states? Uh, during uh, uni, I uh, uh, did a semester abroad in Galway, and um, uh-huh. I'm I'm, uh, I'm sure we'll return that as well because it's a place I uh, lived in five different times and okay. left four different times, thinking I would never be back, and then ended up back again. And um, so that uh, certainly um, you know took on quite a big part of my life. Um, but in between this coming and going in Galway and, and potentially and then staying there longer term, I ended up in Germany, in Schwäbisch Gmünd. Um, oh, I'm so chance. glad you said it. <laughs> okay, okay. It's, it, it's a, it has two umlauts, which in my mind anyway, makes it kind of special, if, if only for that, you know. <laughs> okay, so... Let me just go back quickly, just to Galway purely to find out how come you chose Galway going from the States? Why was it Galway you initially chose? Do you remember? It was probably largely by chance, or at least no noble reasons behind it. I, Since I was being charged out-of-state tuition um, to go to Iowa, which is quite expensive and it's just student debt that's still building up uh, mm. her interests at the moment. But um, it wasn't any more expensive to go out of country. And then I thought, well, I studied I a bit of Spanish in school, uh, but it's I don't feel confident going to Spanish-speaking country. I guess it has to be English-speaking country. I guess Ireland is the most alluring of all those. And then I just walked into the study abroad office and said, hey, where's the best place in Ireland? And the man... <laughs> Yeah, the man there said, listen, I just got back from Galway. It was great. We can't send you there directly, but we can hook you up with other programs that can. Galway's hmm. where I recommend. And so that's where I went. And um, I, it was a good choice that that individual was right. Uh, I think um, Galway was the perfect place to go and spend a, a semester abroad. Hmm. Okay. And now you're living there, obviously, after you're back and forth five times. How long are you there and how does it affect your creativity, Ryan? Uh, when it's added up, it'd be uh, f- between seven and eight years in total, I believe. It's, mm-hmm. um, it was a semester abroad. Then I came back to do a master's, came back for a, later, a couple years later for a summer, came back for a doctorate, left and then came back um, Partly because it was the easiest place where my partner and I, who's an Italian, could be together visa-wise, and but also because we both had both had a lot of connections here, and it made sense in a lot of other ways. Um, I I think the way it in, it uh, affects my creativity and writing in general is just getting to be part of a, a writing community. You know, I think 
you know, I think Ireland in general is is great for having an open access to to community uh, mm-hmm. and and taking people in, and so uh, you know, it was great to converse with other Irish writers, in particular other Galway writers like Alan McGonagall and and a lot of others knocking around. Um, so I, I think being in Galway, it's, it's motivated in, in that, you know, I get to be part of the gang, you know, and welcome this okay. part of the game and have a, have a space there. You know, yeah, as well. it is. It's fantastic. I mean, of course, of course, now we're recording this towards the end of June, 2021. Uh, and we'll probably, we'll probably have it, have it on the podcast in about two weeks time. So it won't be very dated, hopefully. But the point, the point being that of course we're coming out the other end of various stages of lockdowns, I suppose, is the easiest way to put it, isn't it? And mm-hmm. Galway City, before the pandemic, would have been such an amazing, buzzy place. Um, I guess it'll be interesting to see how, how things are during this summer, no? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you, you know, we're all appreciating uh, every little bit of freedom we have and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know... With the turn in weather, at least uh, the few days that it's not raining in Galway, we could uh, we could all meet up so- outside with a few cans <laughs> anyway. So yeah, <laughs> that's something. Okay. okay. So one one other quick question for you, Ryan, about that particular part of the world. Um, do you ever wander out to Connemara at all? Yeah, yeah. Whenever um, we're, we're working on getting a car now, uh, but whenever um, we can kind of guilt one of our friends with a car to take us out there we'll go or uh sometimes mm-hmm. you rent a car whenever someone visits uh we we rent a car and uh we, we drive around and maybe on a good day try to find one of the quote-unquote hidden beaches you know um mm. uh so yeah it's, it's a great landscape just to just to pass through find and uh you know very rugged landscape and you kind of get the sense that there's probably rugged people that take up their existence there, you know, which I kind of appreciate as well. Yeah. It's a fantastic part of the world. Very, very wild in a, in a sort of an inspirational way, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. So you mentioned, I'm going to get you to say it again, because there's no way I'm going to try and pronounce <laughs> the place in Germany. So you lived in that place, the name that you're going to pronounce very well. Uh, and you really have such an intriguing, unusual story to tell about that place, Ryan, don't you? Yeah, the 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 name of the place is Schwäbisch Gmünd, which, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I'm sure some Germans are like, no, it's Schwäbisch or you know, they'd correct me still, but uh, um, by chance, it's where my grandfather grew up, not the particular oh. town, but the area. He okay. uh, he was Schwäbisch, and he, um, you know, after World War II, he left um, and uh, came to the states, and so it was it was kind of great just to. Um, to to live in a place he did for two years but um i ended up there by chance i was i'm i'd met a german girl in galway before and several years later she was doing an internship in new york city uh i went down to visit her we started dating and but then i kind of realized ah this, this probably isn't working out she's probably not you know the person you know i, I want to be with that you know we're probably not fitted to each other and mm. so I mentioned this to her and she said, nope, nope, we're not breaking up. 
Uh, so I said, ah, uh, okay, okay. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I went to visit her in Germany and um, and, and stayed there, there for a while, during which time, a few times I mentioned, ah, you know, I, I think we should break up. And she disagreed. <laughs> so, okay. so, so I just, uh, I guess I, I wasn't used to that or didn't have it in me to, you know, state my opinion. So uh, we were together still. And she asked me to find, uh, look for jobs in Germany. I thought, surely no one in Germany is going to hire me with only a master's, not at the uni- not to work at a university or anything like that. My, I didn't have any German at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I just sent some emails out to some universities. And it just happened by chance that this one university, type of university that is meant for those who want to be teachers, um, it's, it's the type of university is called a pedagogische Hochschule, like a, or PHA, PH. You say, you say it so well, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, their regular professor uh, was on maternity leave. The person they hired to replace her became pregnant and left. And so they didn't want to put much time into looking for someone qualified. So they said, all right, come on down. You're in, kid. Um, okay. And you were a man. You are a man, obviously. So they felt it was unlikely you were going to become pregnant. <laughs> there was that as well. There was that. They, they promised me I wouldn't get pregnant. You know, there's a, yeah, it made me promise. So, but, uh, but, uh, so what happened in that place? How much of the story can you tell? Or? I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, as far as legality reasons, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard to say. But uh, yeah, but. Um, yeah, I I came there with the attitude that uh, listen, I I don't want to be in Germany. I you know I I didn't get myself out of the circumstances I wanted to be in, so I didn't think I wanted to be there. So I uh, I, I just kind of started breaking the rules or at least the norms of how a uh, you know a lecture, particularly in Germany, should behave. You know, and I think specifically from what I gather in Germany. You know, such type of roles come with an import, you know, uh, Uh there's embedded in them even more so than a place like Ireland or the U.S. or most places, you know, there's there's a certain prestige that comes with them. And then these uh, and then instead, I kind of disregarded that and, um, you know, broke certain rules in certain ways. And of course, the students noticed that. And I think subconsciously and the department noticed that as well. Um, and I think probably subconsciously, like, well, if I get fired from here and I have to go back in the U.S., at least I could, you know, it's not the right way to get myself out of this circumstance, but, you know, <laughs> I just kind of thought maybe, maybe it'll solve it. But, uh, instead of getting fired, um, the students and even my colleague in the rest of the department, they, they really took a warming to this type of rebel attitude and, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, the students saw someone who, who, um, you know, I, I don't know if I can give examples, but, uh, you know, was behaving in an unexpected way and very informally uh-huh. to say the least. And they loved it. And, uh, in the end, I, I often say I kind of became a cult leader of sorts, uh, okay. <laughs> in that, wow. yeah, they just took care of me. They, uh, the students sure. like, all right, you're one of ours. 
and uh, we'll take care of you in any way you can. And I ended up living in the dorms for for a year and a half and eventually uh, finally breaking up with a German girlfriend. And then, um, yeah, just anytime I walked by the dorms, uh, you know, they would start chanting my name and uh, or things like this. It was it was quite a it was a great experience. And that being said, like the students were very good in that in the classroom, they didn't take advantage of, you know, this informality or anything. They maybe were even more diligent in their work, you know, because they didn't want to, you know, jeopardize this type of relationship we had. So I think it worked out in the end and the the, the department kind of appreciated it as well, you know, this, uh, so uh, it was it was a fun time, I'd say. It was a really fun time. That's a pretty crazy and, and yeah, very cool experience in its, in its way, for, for sure. So what actually happened then, um, like, to actually cause you to leave eventually, or did you just leave on your own terms after a couple of years? Uh, yeah, people ask me why I ever left. Um, and in the end, I received a Fulbright to go to Iceland, so, uh-huh. okay. so that's, that's what tore me away from, uh, you know, from, from my, what I had going in Trebish Moon there. And so the first year in Iceland, I was on a Fulbright. I was based in Reykjavik, uh, in the capital mm-hmm. city, but moved around the North and stayed with farmers and wrote about okay. Icelandic dairy farmers. So my project mm-hmm. was to write about farming. Uh, and then the second year, I just received a, a second master's degree in Iceland because um, I hope I don't let the cow the bag, but tuition was only 300 euros for the whole year, which, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, which, uh, you know, in the U.S., one undergraduate year was 35,000, you know, so sure, yeah. 300. Yeah. And there's enough courses That's... in English. I could get my mas- another master's. And um, so I'm quite thankful to, to Iceland in that way. That's fantastic. And describe Iceland a little bit for the audience, Ryan, because I've I've read some of your descriptions and they are very magical. It's 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 quite a place, I'd say. It's um I think the the Icelandic themselves would describe them describe the country as between Ireland and America, but very distinct or sorry, between Europe and America, but very distinct mm-hmm. from either of those countries. You know, they you know, they grew up under tough circumstances, you know, and trying to survive in the island. Just when you think you had it mm-hmm. going good, a volcano would, would erupt and wipe out a quarter of you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I mean, first, the landscape, obviously, is very diverse and very, as you said, magical, um, is as well awe-inspiring. Um, but also the culture and the values of the culture, I think, is is quite interesting. They put quite an emphasis on language. Um, They see their own independence in a way, as far as I understand it, being rooted in language in that where other countries had to to earn their independence through bloodshed of different sorts, they just wrote a strongly worded letter to the King of Denmark asking for their independence and Uh uh, Uh they got it. Um, but there's a sense that, you know, lang- language, storytelling uh, is very important in who they are. You know, for Christmas, everyone gets each other books. Um, they, I think 10% of the Icelandic population has published a book. 
Uh, really? I didn't know that. That's amazing, isn't it? Th- yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I mean, and you need a lot of people reading in order to kind of sustain that many books being published regardless, you know? So, mm, it's, mm. Um, so it's, so yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot to, a lot to uh, appreciate about the country. Certainly. Hmm. Okay. So just going back to the experience as being sort of like a, a cult leader in Germany and also, you know, going on to Iceland directly from that, how do you feel these experiences have affected you, Ryan, both as an artist and a person? Um, it, I think as an artist first, I think it reemphasize the importance of of place uh in my mm-hmm. writing as well um mm-hmm. and but also i think hopefully helped kind of fine tune the skill of identifying defining aspects of place or details of place um you know the way people talk things like this of of trying to to come to a new environment and trying to to find the right details about that environment that help portray it. Um, as a person, um, I, I'd imagine it'd be much like, you know, the same experience someone else, anyone would have going to, to a, a new place in that it, uh, to use a, a very tired cliche, I guess, broaden your horizons in that you get to see new attitudes or a new way of doing things or, um, you know, a, a new, uh, for example, um, the first thing that struck me when I first came to Ireland is people parking their cars on the sidewalk, you know, having, having two wheels up on the sidewalk on the side of the street. <laughs> and I thought, geez, I've never seen that before. It makes sense. I guess it could be done. Uh-huh. But um, I, I kind of, reinforce that you know the set of norms and codes that i grew up with aren't the only norms and codes out there and i think it's a great thing about european citizens is that you have so many different cultures accessible where in, mm-hmm. in the u.s um it's harder for people to get across the pond and see some different and also i think you know there's there's not as much of a desire to do so which is a bit unfortunate Hmm, that is unfortunate. I didn't really realise that. I, I kind of assumed, I suppose, I haven't been to, to the States ever, and I sort of assumed that given that there's so little actual holidays in, for people who with like mm. normal average jobs, that it's just difficult until they're retired as well, no? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely, that's another major problem as well. Hmm, hmm. Okay, let's go back to the, the book. Now, I said very much at the beginning of this interview the the quote that I read out actually is mistaken by by saying that it's placed in the west of Ireland. It's really the location is pretty much verging on placeless, Ryan, isn't it? What made you choose to write it like that? Um, yeah, it's interesting that uh, that reviewer thought it was a place in the west of Ireland, I suppose, because that's where I'm based and someone else called it a Midlands novel. Um, when the, the attempt, anyway, um, you know, as far as my intent matters in any, in any case was to make it placeless. And, mm-hmm. um, part of that was playing around themes of genericness and genericness, um, 
transpose against very specific other details, particularly in farming. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, most characters in the novel only appear once in a scene mm-hmm. and in one scene and then, and then never again um, for a similar, what I see is a similar reason, but also thematically anyway, I, I hoped that by making it placeless, by, by being able to, you know, move the book around the map of Ireland, so to speak, and be able to set it down in most places anyway, that would suggest that the story in it is universal. You know, I'm not Irish. Mm-hmm. I wanted to tell an Irish, particular Irish story, but I also wanted to suggest that this story is happening in other places in the world as well. You know, the disappearance of small farming and the reasons for it and the pressures faced by rural communities as Mm -hmm. well. Um, You know, I want to suggest that this is happening everywhere, not in particular, one particular location. Okay. So, yeah, I think, I think that works. I think the only thing is we're also, um, you know, we're, we're ensconced in the idea of it should be a particular place. So I suppose that makes it a bit challenging for for you to achieve what you set out to achieve, but I I think it works personally. Oh, thanks, thanks. I, I'm the le- the worst person to judge that, so I'll I'll, I'll defer to your opinion anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so going back to Galway and the west of Ireland, Ryan, if you were to describe that part of the world as a person, what kind of character traits does it have? Uh, I, that's a good question. I I think, and and maybe particularly. You get the sense when driving around places like Connemara and outside of Galway City, um, you know the word resilience comes to mind anyway. Like I said mm-hmm. before, it's a um, you know the the culture there has has outlasted you know the um, you know the 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 pressures that try to to squash that culture in the past, of course, and this lasted the people there. I made a living on a type of ground it's hard to make a living on. Um, yes. So, so that, that's one type of, I say that's the word that comes to mind. Um, I don't know if this is a fair assessment, but I, I kind of imagine that if it was a night out, you know, Dublin would be kind of the loud, boisterous fellow there that ended up with a, a drink spilled on the front of his shirt by the night's over. And <laughs> and uh, maybe, maybe Cork was kind of the popular guy that everyone kind of wanted to be and Maybe Dublin was the, uh, or sorry, uh, Donegal made it. Donegal might have been uh, the kind of charmingly awkward person there, uh, um, but uh, the west of Ireland, to me, might have been the the person that kind of quiet there in the corner. But once you eventually start talking to him, you realize has quite a certain charm and wit, you know, and mm-hmm. the type of person you kind of end up being long term friends with. Okay. If that makes fantastic. any sense, you know. I it don't makes know. loads of sense. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Now, going back to your book, of course, are you, how are you feeling? It's your first book, obviously. Are you happy with the reviews? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the reviews. They, they seem positive, which I'm, I'm appreciative of. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm happy with the, the reaction I've gotten readers. You know, it's, it's always quite humbling to, to hear someone, um, you know, was moved by something or, or thought that it kind of nailed down the, their experience that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only thing I had to say is there's a certain aspect of the book that I think, as far as I could tell, or at least 
all I have evidence for that only my grandmother had gotten. Um, and that's, oh, okay. is that the, and I, I guess I can, I can say here is that the, the sections aren't necessarily in chronological order. Um, sure. And, um, and because of that, one effect I notice in reviews is that some reviewers think that uh, Mulgannon is beating a live cow at one point, and mm. when actually the cow is dead at that point, and uh, uh, and because of that, yeah. I, I think there's a few reviewers pick picked up thought that well, you know, there's cruelty towards animals, which um, I know, like my father's like, oh, geez, this review didn't get it at all. He's not being cruel to animals. No, this is you know, and they, <laughs> you know, and another farmer re- reviewed it for her website. Um, and she's like, well, I was so upset that this character, you know, was beating a cow. And then, and, and uh, you know, I was like, oh, no, no, the cow's dead, people. The cow's already dead. Okay. So, so, um, okay. So, so obviously, yeah, there's been a, a, a level of misunderstanding, you know, as you've mentioned. Is there any particular review that you feel really got it? Um, I, I, I think the, the review... And you read out from Books Ireland and Owen Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, despite the, the mention of it being said in West Ireland, and I think he as well thought, uh, you know, maybe there was a bit of cruelty toward animal. But on that, I, I, you know, I think he gave it a very thorough and honest and, and fair treatment, a very comprehensive treatment, and which mm-hmm. I was quite uh, appreciative of as well. Um, do you want? So, do you want to read any anything that sort of resonated with you from it? Sure, sure. Um, There's a paragraph here that reads, This sense of disintegration is reflected in the episodic structure of the novel. It is there in the narrative voice too. Verbs, even subjects, are dropped out of sentences to form half-broken utterances. At times an action will occur, such as a memorable fight with a half-maddened priest who botches an exorcism of the boy only fit there to be no apparent consequence to those actions. Yet the overall impression is one where every single action will be consequential in the unfolding of time and throughout the fragmented narrative is, and throughout the fragmented narrative is held together by a, a beautifully wrought lyrical voice. Um, and I did, that particular paragraph resonated with me, I think, because, um, you know, I would always believe that the best writing and the most ambitious writing has a form that reflects the content. You know? mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then in this case, if, if what I wanted to do was, um, you know, present the lived experience of the Irish family farmer in a current context, you know, I chose a style that I hope reflected the protagonist's experience in that so you know in this in all the ways that the narrative is disjointed and the language um you know is is disjointed and fragmented and um you know i i hope and and these things you know made it uh, a less digestible book of course you know it was it was a risk taken i think in in attempting the style and mm. You know, it made it less marketable for sure as well. Um, you, you know, uh, but, you, but you're, you're obviously by having made that choice and, and written the book in that way, you're standing very, very true to your 
to your um, intentions. I hope so. I, I hope so. I meant to anyway. So it's, it's again, it's up to, to other readers to decide, but uh, I, I hope so. Mm-hmm. I'm currently reading Words to Shape My Name by Laura McKenna. Okay. And again, yeah, again, she's done a great job and, you know, in that sort of way of writing with the, 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 the rhythm and the tone and the, the wording is absolutely very much in tune with, with her subject matter. Okay, great, great. I'll pick up a copy and that recommendation then. Okay. Okay. So listen, obviously we touched a little while ago on the fact that, you know, right now some things are opening up, you know, in Ireland and obviously other places in Europe. So I know that that can change all the time. Uh, so I don't want to say too much about that, but let's look forward to days where it's almost like it used to be pre, pre-pandemic. And I'm going to head over to spend a bit of time in Galway. Well, I haven't been there for quite a, a long time. Where would you recommend for me to stay these days in Galway City, Ryan? Uh, this Jackie, I have a couch. You're welcome to any time. So, <laughs> okay. you know, just, <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I was never much of a hotel person. Usually just, um, you know, I'd, I'd save the money for other things. I, uh, I remember the first time I stayed here was in a hostel. It was my first night in Europe, you know, uh-huh. and, um, uh, it was a Barnacle Keys hostel on Shop Street. Now I think it's owned by the Kinley House. Uh-huh. But, um, if you're of the mindset that someone who would enjoy a hostel, uh, I like the environment there, you know, yeah. right on Shop Street, you know, there's people who are traveling, looking to make friends from all around. So um, if, if, if you're into hostels, I think that would be where I would, uh, I would go myself. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a great location and a good vibe in terms of, of just meeting other people. What about sites? Would you take me any, anywhere in particular, recommend anywhere in particular? Uh, I, th- I think you hit it on the nail earlier uh, when you mentioned Connemara, like uh, whenever someone visits me, particularly from abroad, um, we hop in a car and we drive around and, um, you know, some great place to see there, Killary Harbour, uh, where Mike McCormick's solar, uh, Notes from a Coma is set as well. Um, we, had, we, had a, we had a family cottage there when I was a child. Did you? Overlooking oh, okay. the harbour. Yeah. yeah All, right. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny you should mention it. It's a spectacular setting. So you're one of those rugged people that uh, you know were, were mentioned previously. That uh... <laughs> well, I, I, I'm the, I've got the mixture of the Dublin thing that you mentioned, which was actually very humorous for me to hear, and then of course <laughs> spending a lot of my childhood holidays out in the west of Ireland. So I'd like to think I maybe have a bit of the two things going on. Okay, good, good. You know, and, and anything a hybrid, you know, hybrid nature is is always the best. You know, so. Um. <laughs> Um, so yeah, okay. I wouldn't disagree with that, that suggestion. Obviously, I have, you know, that sort of big uh, emotional and cellular connection with that part of the world myself. Anyhow, what about um, any sort of unusual, offbeat, eccentric places or experiences experiences that you would rec- recommend? Uh, it's interesting that you know, whenever I'm asked or whenever anyone comes to visit me. You know, I had to sit down and think, all right, what's there to see in Galway? And, you know, I, for myself, I find it hard to per, pinpoint specific, you know, maybe touristy places or um, because, uh, you know, for me, and I, I think a lot of people agree, 
Galway is more about the atmosphere, you know, the, sure. the nightlife or the, what's happening on the street. And, um, but that being said, I, if it, particularly if it's a sunny day, I would probably take you to a uh, Menlo castle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, um, y- you know, you have to take a few small roads to get there, but then it's, um, kind of this beautiful castle from, I believe the 1600s. It was last use, maybe later. Maybe you can correct me on that. But um, there's ivy growing up it. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you're kind of left to your own devices there. And it's right on the mm-hmm. river as well. So mm-hmm. it's um, kind of a nice place to pass a afternoon or to see the sunset as well. Okay. That's, that sounds great. That's somewhere I haven't actually been, but I've seen pictures online and it looks, it looks really gorgeous. What about a restaurant or restaurants? Where would you bring me? It's funny. Like, um, it seems like Galway goes through phases of restaurants. So uh-huh. the first phase I remember since I was here was the Asian fusion phase. And so suddenly one restaurant did well. And then suddenly there was tons of them. Um, and then I think it was the, the gourmet burger phase. Suddenly, you know, five, six gourmet burgers and then it went to pizza, then ice cream. And then it's, but, um, I would say if, if you're looking for Asian food and a good value mm-hmm. uh, for what you get, uh, Papa Rich is quite a popular place in Galway and, and deservedly so. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and if you're into gourmet burgers, uh, everyone has different opinions and could, it could be quite contentious, but mm-hmm. I think a handsome burger would be, I would go for that one um, okay. as that's, well. That's good. That's good to know. And obviously, it's been a good while since I've been there, and we're we're talking about different days right now. But what about any favorite bar or bars? Uh, my typical night out um, would be Nocton's first, mm-hmm. uh, and then the Roisin later. So, I mean, Nocton's is it's I guess it's the writer writer bar anyway. Mm-hmm. But also, mm-hmm. it's a it's a good mix of you know eccentrics and locals and the kind of same old heads you'd, you'd find in there every time. Um, when I first came to, to Galway, I went there often and I was allowed to be part of the smug club, you know, which is single male unemployed in Galway, you know? So, <laughs> okay. Never heard um, of that one. <laughs> it was, you know, it was the same people there. They, they met every Wednesday, but it was the same people there that would be drinking there every day of the week anyway. But mm-hmm. uh, it felt good to be part of something, you know, so. Okay, um, okay. that's great. Now, what, and what's it like in Galway at the moment? Like, is it still, you know, on a nice sunny day? Is it still a bit of a buzz? You know, I know we're in different days. How, how is it? Yeah, it's, it's there is like um, places like the Spanish Arch and mm-hmm. uh, maybe outside the Salt House where people kind of congregate along the canal, the river. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people out there uh, gathering together, you know. So there is, there is, there is that feeling of that's good. going as well. So Yeah, that's good to hear. It's not, it's not disappeared. Now, last but certainly not least, Ryan, are there any works in the pipeline at the moment? Uh, yeah, yeah. If only to try to create some to keep myself fed. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, as eventually becomes necessary, but uh, I'm working on a, a memoir-based book of nonfiction. Um, to my knowledge, 
uh, you know, I, I described where I grew up. I grew up in a farm during a time where, you know, farming became difficult in the States. Mm-hmm. And to my knowledge, there hasn't been a book that kind of intimately and accurately, you know, details that type of lived experience for those who went through it, mm-hmm. and, as well as the specific political decisions and events that led to what is now ultimately the end of family farm in the U.S. And, you know, which, you know, could serve as a morality tale for the EU, you know, as, as mm-hmm. well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if certain lessons aren't learned, the same is and and will continue to happen to Irish agriculture, I believe. So um, so that's the next project. I, I it's, it's been harder to write than I thought, kind of going back, um, back in the memory and kind of, you know, pull it, you know, thinking about my family story as well. Um, uh-huh. The, you know, of, of course, certain aspects are, have quite emotional weight. And unlike in all good nonfiction, you have to implicate yourself and all of it. Um, so, you know, which I guess should be hard and, and it has been. So, um, so yeah, I am, I'm currently in the second draft of that and uh, okay. hoping something's going to of it. That was going to be my next question, how, how advanced it is. Um, sounds like you're going to be breaking new ground again, Ryan, from, from how you've described it. I hope so. And, and, and I hope the, the nature of the book being nonfiction will help kind of garner a larger audience. Um, and then I can go back to writing, you know, more obscure farm fiction that, uh, you know, is that, uh, you know, has a smaller following, but, uh, faithful anyway, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the project and I hope something valuable comes from it. Okay. Is it too soon to ask when, when you would hope for that to be published or can you say at the moment? Um, the, the goal is to have a draft ready for submission about a year from now. I, I've recently received a, a writer residency at Maynooth university. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that will give me a bit of time and space as well to keep working on this project and um and at least get close to being ready to to really shop it around uh by the end of the next year. Okay, that sounds fantastic. Last question, d- d- does it have a working title at the moment? Um it did, but the working title doesn't fit. Um the working uh-huh. title was Milking Cows During a Zombie Apocalypse. Um, okay. because I always want to bring zombies into my work. Like I always, I think at some point I'm just going to have to write a zombie novel and get it out of my system. And, and I've always in the back of my mind, try to just put literary zombies in stories and the editors always make me take them out. So I think once again, I had intention <laughs> to put them in and they, I guess I have to admit they're not going to fit in this one either. So <laughs> Okay, that's fantastic. Any anything else you'd like to share before we 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 had a great chat? I have to say. Uh, no, I'm just uh, appreciate to 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 get to have this conversation with you. And um, I think opportunities like these, you know, I, I think any writer agree it helps you clarify your own thoughts on things, and it's kind of a privilege to to get to be asked about uh, your your thoughts and and the writing process. So I'm I'm grateful to have the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's been fantastic, Ryan. Um, last, but of course, not least at all, is where will our audience find uh, more information about you? I know it's Milk House is one of the websites, and I think you've got a second website, haven't you? Uh, 
Uh, I do. Uh, the the Milk House uh, is kind of a platform for those writing about rural subjects to uh-huh. to find to to find other greater audiences. So that's the milkhouse dot gotcha. org. Um, okay. Uh-huh. But uh, my author's website would be a penofryandennis.com. So. Okay, fantastic. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Ryan, for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, thanks again, Jackie. I enjoyed it. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Creative Places and Faces. We look forward to bringing you more creative insights into places around the world very soon. Bye.